right, and um, I'm reading chapter 5, verses 18 to 33. This is the word of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives and husbands, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or such thing, or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Jess and Tom are going to come up to speak now. Can I pray for you? Yes, please. Yeah. Lord God, we just thank you for um, being able to gather here today. And Lord, I pray for Jess and Tom as they come um, to speak your truth. And Lord, I just pray for our ears and our hearts to be open and our hearts to be soft and willing to hear what you are going to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys. Hi. Good morning. Um, if I've not met you, my name's Tom and this is my wife Jessica and we've got, um, got we'll tell you more about ourselves in a bit, but um, this morning we're going to continue on in our All Things New series and we've been learning all about the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done and how, how having right thinking is so important for us as Christians and followers of Jesus. It can't just live in our heads though, it has to move to our hearts and our hands. And so how we live, how we act out of, of understanding those truths is so important. And so today, Paul is going on, we just heard Heather reading, he's, he's entering into this whole idea of, of what the gospel looks like taking shape in, and lived out in relationships, and specifically in household relationships. So the relationship between a husband and a wife this week, next we're going to look at children and parents, and then eventually 
um, bosses and employees. Um, but I want to be specific in saying that and clear that this is about husbands and wives, not about men and women in general. This is about husbands and wives that we're going to be talk, talking about this morning. And you guys probably heard a lot of trigger words already in the, the verse that Heather read. But I want to humbly ask you guys to suspend your suspicion, okay, this morning. And I, and I want to give two disclaimers, and then we're going to talk a little bit about our, our own story here. So I want to say this firstly. Singleness is a gift from God. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, that guy's married, actually. No, he's kidding. But, um, <laughs> could you imagine? Um, but we recognize, we recognize not everyone is married, okay? And that we want to we wanna be a church that, that actually tears down that idol of marriage, that our ultimate fulfillment could come from a spouse. That's not true, and we'll talk more about that. So we want to we wanna tear down that idol, first of all, and, and declare and affirm that singleness is a gift from God. And the second thing is that there have been abuses and misuses of the, the verses that we just read together. We want to we be aware of that and, and, and affirm that. that sometimes these, these verses have been taken out of context and misapplied, and that's led to horrific situations and circumstances. But our desire is to learn how to live these verses out in a way that honors Jesus and that follow his example, specifically when it comes to treating women with dignity and care. Okay, so those are the two disclaimers before we get into what we're going to talk about today. So let me just tell you guys briefly about our marriage. This is a picture of us on our wedding day. We both somehow look younger and older. (laughs) It's legal in Virginia when you're 12. Um, But we met, we met, uh, how many years ago? 16 years ago at YWAM. I'm from the States, Jess is from here. I'm five years younger than Jess. Um, we got married 14 years ago. That's actually at Stevenson Farms. We had a good little dance there. Mm-hmm. We've got four kids now. One of them is over there, Hannah. Hopefully that's not embarrassing. Um, and uh, we come from wildly different family backgrounds and families of origin. And that plays out in our marriage on a daily basis. How we communicate, we communicate differently. And that's kind of led into all kinds of stuff, even about what we're going to talk to you guys about today. But we come from different families of origin, even, even with different views of what marriage is. And so Jess is going to briefly kind of give her, her kind of explanation of our marriage. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I was just going to um, say, if you want to get in a hot fight with your spouse, prepare a message on marriage. Yeah. <laughs> because we had some good fights this week. <laughs> many. Yeah, I mean, many over the years. But anyways, um, I guess basically just like, obviously, we don't have it all figured out. And we are just coming humbly before you saying like, you know, with hope that in love, we can study the scriptures together, we can lean into the things that God's instructing in our lives, and through that, see each other formed into the likeness of Christ. So we're just, that's our hope, that's our heart, and so we hope that you can hear that um, in all this. I'm actually really thankful for this series that we've been doing, the All Things New series. just again being reminded like we are a people of we are new people in Christ and he has a whole new way that we are to live in an entirely different kingdom and so I think the world has changed so much even over the course of the last year and it's so easy we can see the systems and ideas and solutions that man is trying to sort of put into place Um, there's a Proverbs I think in 14 it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And I feel like we can see that all around us. 
Um, it's not even that the pendulum is swinging back and forth with a lot of things. It's like, whoa, crazy all over the place. And there's just so much confusion and chaos and what man thinks is right is actually leading to death. And so I'm just so thankful that we have the word of God to form and shape us. We have the Holy Spirit who is working with us to teach us and to grow us into his truth. And so in all of these things, we have to remember, you know, we are people of God's way. It isn't culture that shapes us. It is actually Christ who forms us. Um, and then we, in fact, shape culture around us. That's, that's the way it should go, not the other way around. Um, culture, we need to view culture through the lens of scripture and not the other way around. And I think even when we read through scriptures like this, it is so easy to hear certain words and to have our own cultural mindset go like, what? Hold up. Nope. And that's, we have to like check ourselves and just go back to like, we actually need scripture to give us the lens on culture, not the other way around. Um, and our framework for marriage and relationships, that all must come from scripture because marriage was in fact God's design. It wasn't man's idea. It was God's idea to put a man and a woman together in marriage. So, um, and as I was studying this over the last few weeks, I felt like the scripture from Isaiah 43, I think it's up there if you want to yeah, take that photo down. <laughs> um, but it says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I just felt like the Lord kind of put that on my heart. Just that like when we do live in God's way, it brings rivers to the wastelands of our own lives, but it also brings rivers to the wastelands of the world around us. And we're in a time right now where it's a wasteland. Like people are confused and they need to know that there's another way and they need to see Jesus. Like it's so so important that that is I mean that's our point for being here right the point of us being here is to glorify God and to share his good news with people so we get to do that in the context and relationship of marriage so culture has a unique view on marriage that we could all probably pick up on you know in conversations with neighbors or on tv shows or all kinds of stuff and it's essentially like how can this other person make me become the best version of myself how can they you know make me happy, make me fulfilled, make me whole, you know, the whole idea you complete me, you know, there's a just shaped hole in my heart or whatever type of, type of language you want to use. But um, the truth is, is that those things kind of fade out, you know, like our lives change, we're different than when we were first married. And what happens is when we're thinking like, you're here to serve me or you're a commodity, what happens when all my hair actually falls out is that Jess could leave me and move on to someone else because she married me for my hair or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, my job or whatever, if we're, if we're marrying someone to, in, to improve our social status or standing, when things like that change, that the commitment's built around something other than the person, but what they give to us. And so that, that is why we see so much stuff like divorce in our world, all kinds of stuff like that. And this is primarily about feelings, this way of thinking, and essentially I'll leave you when I don't have this fill in the blank feeling anymore. I don't feel in love with you anymore, so maybe we should split up. Maybe we never should have been put together. But the kingdom view of marriage, and Jess already hinted at this, that God is the one who created marriage. That this is not a man-made invention or social construct, you know, we hear that often. But this is a lifelong covenantal relationship between one man 
and one woman. And it's not something we take lightly. We take this seriously. We, we want to understand God's view of marriage and not have, like Justice said, we want the Bible to influence our view on things, Jesus' view to influence our view on things, not culture. I'm going to read a quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. When dating or living together, you have to prove your value daily by impressing and enticing. You have to show that the chemistry is there and the relationship is fun and fulfilling, or it will be over. We are still basically in a consumer relationship at this point, and that means constant promotion and marketing. The legal bond of marriage, however, creates a space of security where we can open up and reveal our true selves. We can be vulnerable, no longer having to keep up facades. We don't have to keep selling ourselves. To be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. And this is what Paul is talking about this morning, this type of marriage. And this is a spirit-filled marriage. So I'm going to read that, the, the first three verses there that Heather read for us already. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I'm just going to um, talk a little bit about spirit-filled marriage and what that looks like, or what it's designed for. Um, spirit-filled marriage is meant to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church. Um, love, sacrifice, devotion, those are the sorts of things that we actually get to reflect in our marriage and our relationship. And what a beautiful opportunity that is as people of God to, to get to do that. Um, marriage is, a, is gospel reenactment. So we are in a loving covenantal relationship with each other. There is a, like, there is a commitment there that no matter what, I am here for you. I will love you through the thick and thin of it, through all the mess and the good and the bad and ugly. Um, which is Jesus to us, right? It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what we go through. He's, he's there and he's loving us um, regardless of all the mess, in all the mess. <laughs> um, to the degree that we know and experience what Jesus has done for us, we're able to do for someone else. And that we get to play out. The more we are changed by the love and grace of God, we are then able to extend that love and grace in a, in a good way to our spouse. Marriage is not our identity though. Um, I think so easy, it's so easy to like, I was thinking even about like when you fill out a, a questionnaire or something, it's like male, female, married or single, and like those things are like identity forming, right? And we, after we get married, often think like, that's who I am, I am now married. And, and two becoming one does not mean that there is like this complete, like he was, like Tom was saying, there's this Tom-sized hole in the heart and now I'm like, oh, I've just been made whole by my marriage with him. It's actually Christ who completes us and makes us whole. And marriage is actually just discipleship. And it's another form that God uses to refine us and to grow us. Um, this journey in discipleship to Jesus together is played out in the fact that the more secure I am in my identity as a child of God, the better I am in terms of of my contribution to our marriage, the healthier our marriage actually becomes as I grow in my relationship with God. Um, and marriage is actually just discipleship, teaming up with God to see each other become who God's called us to be. 
and we get to do that through sacrificial love, sacrificial love and service. So. One thought just on that um, marriage is discipleship thing. I think so often we can become frustrated with our spouse because what we're trying to do is form them into the image of ourselves. Like, why can't Jess just think more like me? And Jesus is like, bro, that's not the point. The point is that she becomes more like me and vice versa. So I think that's important for us to remember is that we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, with the Father, to see Christ formed in our spouse. Um, so in a spirit-filled marriage, we're going to get to the whole idea that there are different roles for men and women. But what do we both do in a spirit-filled marriage? Uh, Josh talked about this last week in verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says, we walk in the way of love. And so that means we're called to agape love our spouses. Like not just when it's good and when it's easy, but we're supposed to love in a sacrificial way, un unconditionally. We live as children of light. Uh, so this would mean our marriages are characterized by things like goodness, righteousness, and truth. These things abound in our marriages. Uh, there is light and goodness. We are good to each other. We are good for each other. And we speak and act truth truthfully when this is happening. And then there's this key idea of mutual submission as followers of Jesus, that we submit to one another and honor and respect one another in a spirit-filled marriage. But we can extract even further three ingredients that apply specifically to both husband and wife. The first one is selflessness. That means in everything, always, consistently, constantly, I need to be putting Jess in front of myself at all times. Not when it's consistent or um, not when it's uh, convenient or people are looking, you know, like when it, when it promotes something about me, the image I'm trying to project, but when no one's looking, I need to be doing that. Um, again, we've already talked about this, but unconditional and covenantal love. It's not contractual, but there is a commitment, a covenant, and a promise to love and to serve and to, to lay down my life for my wife. Um, and then finally, there's this oneness and unity. So what, what I do and say needs to promote my partnership with Jess. And the, there's this strong idea that we are a team and that we are united. But in that sense and in that reality, Jess and I are equal, but we are very different. Even like a small example, she hand wrote all of her notes. I have an iPad and it was driving her crazy as I'm typing out my notes, but um, we're different. So the biblical perspective is to hold simultaneously these two ideas, that we are equal, but we are complementary to one another. So equality, firstly. Uh, Galatians 3.28, Paul says there's no longer slave nor free, male or, free male, male or female, he goes on and on. So there's these key truths that we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about equality and complementarity. And that is, we want to look to the life of Jesus and his example, like we talked about earlier. Jesus is consistently and constantly affirming the dignity of um, the, le the people in that time that were seen as less than. So that would be women, children, and servants. So Jesus is always um, bringing dignity into that, those spaces as he interacts with women, with kids, and with servants. There's a, the biblical truth and reality that we are all equal before God as human beings. We're all made in God's image, irrespective of our race, our rank, our class, culture, sex, or age. All of us are made in the image of God. Amen? And then finally, that there is what we've been learning about. There's this new humanity that Jesus is forming through what he's accomplished for us on the cross, his life, death, resurrection. There's a unity of all Christian believers, that we are all members of God's household. We're all parts of God's body, Christ's body. So those are three things we need to remember in, in thinking about equality. J.H. Uh, Yoder says this, equality of worth is not identity of role. 
So key thought, this is what we need to, the, the, the one key thought about equality, God made men and women totally equal in personhood, dignity, and worth. They are not less important or, or valuable than men. Okay? Okay. I'm going to read another quote. This is from N.T. Wright. He says this, Paul assumes, as do most cultures, that there are significant differences between men and women. Differences that go far beyond mere biological and reproductive function. Their relations and roles must therefore be mutually complementary rather than identical. Equality in voting rights and in employment opportunities and remuneration, which is still not a reality in many places, should not be taken to imply such identity. And within, within marriage, the guideline is clear. The husband is to take the lead, though he is to do so fully mindful of the self-sacrificial model which the Messiah has provided. As soon as, quote-unquote, taking the lead becomes bullying or arrogant, the whole entire thing collapses. So we've talked about equality. What about complementarity? The key thought for complementarity is this. God didn't make us to duplicate each other, but to complement each other. So for men in marriage, this means that we are called to take headship or leadership. And what this means, we're going to talk all, a lot about this. We're just giving you the, the general idea is that I am called to consistently care for Jess, and I need to do so in a way that I'm caring for her more than I'm trying to control her. So it's care over control, and it's responsibility over rule. Paul is not saying that I rule over Jess. He's saying that I, I'm responsible for Jess, and I'm going to love her with a love that protects and provides. And for females, the biblical call is to submission which is essentially an acceptance of the husband's care and a respect of his responsibility given to him by God. So Jess is going to talk specifically about what that looks like for wives, and then I'll come back and talk about what it looks like for husbands. Mm. So we get the next part of the scripture up there. I'll read that. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So submission, respect, and our role as helper. Um, do any of those words make your insides kind of go, because <laughs> they do to me, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> um, I am someone who, if someone tells me to do something, I'm like, don't you tell me what to do. I'm going to do the opposite. That's just part of my nature. But um, yeah, there is something there where when we hear words like submission, respect, and helper, it kind of does something inside us. And I just want to challenge us this morning. I've had to challenge myself through all of this too, um, to really look into where culture has been the shaping factor in our viewpoints, even of these words and how they are implied, and even Christian culture. I'm not even talking about just worldly culture, but um, Christian culture as well. Um, and that we could, as we're learning through this, just be asking the Holy Spirit to begin to undo those things. This is something that I've just been constantly praying, like, Lord, undo the things that I've had, even in my own experience in my life, or things that I have seen or the way, like the mindsets that have been kind of shaped into me by my surroundings that cause me to like wanna just buck against this and be like, nope. Um, and just asking the Lord to show us what it truly means. 
Um, so, will you accept the challenge? <laughs> um, like I said, the world has not handled this well. The church has definitely not handled it well either. Um, but all the more reason for us to grow into this well together and to actually live this out in the way that God's intended. Um, and so actually, I just want to pray before I go into this, just that the Lord would start that work in us. Father, thank you that you are good. Um, thank you that you've given us your truth and you've given us a way of life that brings blessing and rivers in the wasteland, Lord. And I just pray that you would begin to undo the ways of thinking um, in our hearts and in our minds that are, are causing us to see your word through with warped eyes or with a warped view. Would you take away those things that are just causing the distortion and allow us to see your true intention in these scriptures, Lord. I ask for your healing, for your restoration, for your redemption to be happening even as we're learning together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. Um, in Genesis, when God creates Eve and brings her to Adam, and he says he is going to create a helper for Adam. Um, and actually, the word helper is Ezer or Ezer, Ezer, I'm not sure well, anyways. Um, it actually is another word that God, they, that refers to God himself, and it's um, translated into the Lord my help. Um, when God brings Eve to Adam as a helper, it's not like he's bringing him an assistant. It's not like Adam then goes, oh, hello Eve, and takes her around, like, come be my help, and I'll show you how this looks. And it's not even like, you know, sometimes you bring a child with you and you say, like, you can help me, but really I don't need your help. I'm just including you in, in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, it is, in fact, that God brought the woman to the man because she has qualities and strengths that are needed because they're different than what Adam has. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have those same qualities and strengths. And so there is, like Tom was saying, that complementary, um, where there is lack in him, there is surplus in her, and where there's lack in her, there's surplus in him. And so there's this coming together that actually brings strength. And a helper really can only help from a place of strength. There isn't, you can't help someone if you're helpless yourself, right? And I think um, that was a real shift in my, in my thinking where I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Like, it's not, it's not a weakness to be seen as a helper. It's not, a, it's, it's actually you're necessary to, mm -hmm. to be um, bringing out the best in the other. Um, and so a wife brings complementary strengths that her husband does not have. We need each other. Mm -hmm. um, and submission is not weakness. It is, um, strength in trust. So there's a trust that we need to have in our husbands, but also ultimately trusting God that his way and his work in our husband's lives is happening and and actually he is he is having his way in that. It is always a choice. It is always from a place of willingness. Um, and this is where attitude is key here because I think there are times, I mean, okay, let's be honest, like, I'm up here saying all this stuff, and we have a whole lot of mess of how this has been worked out. <laughs> um, even in fights and stuff that happens, you know, it's like, I'm right, you're wrong, don't tell me what to do. We've had so many of those situations, but the thing that I've been learning is like, in those situations, when my own 
wants and my own pride and my own needs and things, I feel like I have a right to say something, um, starts to sort of bellow up. I have to check myself and be like, is this actually loving my husband? Is this actually helping us get anywhere? Because, and it usually doesn't happen right away. <laughs> like, it's usually like, I'm, and then I go away and I think about it a little bit and then I come back and I'm like, okay, that wasn't helpful. Um, but just that idea of like, it's a choice to, to submit myself to him. It's a choice to love him the way that he needs to be loved. And my attitude in it all is like, is this what you actually need? Is this going to help bring Christ in you? Um, because it is actually partnership, right? It doesn't mean slavish obedience or I'm silent or I don't say what I mean and I don't, I don't challenge or speak up or disagree. Like, there are things that I actually have ideas for and, and we, like, we work together in this. It's not like this waiting for him to tell me what to do and then, you know, I just willfully do it. It's, it's relationship and partnership. But it does require trust and submission is trust. Um, I've heard it referred to marriage as like a dance and two are dancing and one is leading and oftentimes in that situation you can't tell who's always leading, right? There's, they're just beautifully circling around the room um, but when one is leading and one is allowing that other to lead, there is this beautiful expression that is happening and I think that's a helpful picture of what marriage actually is like. I remember seeing a figure skating duo um, do this really crazy move. I don't know if you've ever seen it where the guy's standing and he starts do to swing. But he's in the middle and he starts swinging his partner around and then he has both of her feet in his hands and he's literally like looping her around his head and then her face gets like this close to the ice. And it's always like, oh, you're waiting for them to just like mess up and something bad to go. But anyways, I remember seeing them in an interview and talking about practicing these things. And she was talking about that one move and she said, like it took so much trust and practice to get to that place where she's just like, her hands are behind her head. Her face is literally skimming off the ice and she's just smiling, like <laughs> totally happy. And um, she said, she had to commit to this move and to trust her partner like he has never dropped her before. Mm. He definitely dropped her multiple times in that situation. They had mess ups and even I think in a few of their like actual competitions, they didn't complete the thing perfectly. But she had to like step into that with like a trust, like you're, you're probably gonna drop me. <laughs> but I'm gonna go into this fully because if she doesn't commit to fully trust, she's gonna skittishly go in and then it's just gonna be a disaster anyways, right? And so knowing that her trust was key to getting them to where they needed to be, she stepped into that place with trust. And it's kind of like that for us as wives. It requires us to have this big picture and this forward thinking like, you know, yes, there's gonna be disappointment. There is gonna be hurt. There is gonna be times where my trust is maybe broken and I feel disappointed, but I'm gonna step in every single time fresh with new trust, knowing that God is faithful. He's actually the one who sustains me. He's the one who's holding me together. And my, my being and myself does not rely on Tom to fulfill every need. In fact, it's God who does that. And so there's grace there to be able to trust and to make mistakes and to have that learning process. Um, yeah. 
Um, so then the next, moving forward in this, at the end of the scripture, it just says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, and here we're instructed to respect our husbands just because it's a way of showing them love. Um, I think God knew it's easier for us to love. It's not as easier for a husband to love. It's easier for us to just love. It's not as easy for us to submit and to respect. And I think that's why we're reminded of those things. That, like in this scripture, it's not that there is no respect from him to me. It's not that there is no submission to each other. It's that these are the things that actually husbands and wives struggle with. And so on both sides, they're highlighted to remind us of the things that are more difficult for us. Um, and just remembering that like this picture of marriage is actually a redemption of, to the fracture and relationship that happened at the fall in Genesis when we were brought under the curse and we were um, just falling into sin. And so God is restoring and redeeming and making these things new and using us in the process to actually form his new way in our lives and form his new way in our husband's lives through us, right? This discipleship relationship that's happening. So, yeah. Husbands, how are you doing? Lovely. All right, let's take a deep breath, everyone, yeah? All right, so now we're gonna move on to the role for husbands and the simple line, husbands, cherish your wife. Um, like Jess alluded to, we've been fighting a lot this week, uh, and I've been so challenged and humbled by these verses in a new way, even in just conversation with Jess over the last little bit. So I, I again, submit all these things to you as one who's learning and is, has not mastered this by any stretch of the imagination. So for men, our, our complementary role to, to our wives is that of leadership. So how is that leadership to be expressed is the question. Just a few few pointers before we get into some more details. But first, firstly, it needs to be expressed selflessly. My leadership needs to always be for the benefit of my wife and my family. My leadership is to be used absolutely never and under any circumstances in an exploitative manner. Um, I am to love my wife and care for her in all things. My leadership or our leadership as husbands needs to be expressed responsibly. Um, remembering that God is the one who has entrusted us, entrusted it to us. We need to take that seriously. And we need to be con continually considering the person or persons for whose benefit they have been given it. So we need to be thinking about our families all the time. Biblical leadership or headship is not tyranny, again, but it's responsibility. I'm going to uh, read a quote here from John Stott. A husband should never use his headship to crush or stifle his wife or frustrate her from being herself. His love for her will lead him to an exactly opposite path. He will give himself for her in order that she may develop her full potential under God and so become more completely herself. So let's look through what Paul talks about in terms of us learning to love our wives as leaders. Uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I could just stop right there. That's a big call, guys. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a gut punch. 
This is particularly shocking for the people of the day that Paul was writing to. The marriage culture that Paul was speaking into is absolutely despicable. Their view of women was crazy. Um, and so imagine them hearing it. But even for us today, right away, hey, husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves the church. That's a high, high, high bar. Christ-like, and just really briefly, Christ-like love looks like this. It looks like death to self over self-fulfillment. It looks like praying for your bride over bashing your bride. How easy is it to just sit there and bash our, our wives in other conversations? How quickly we do that. Christ-like love looks like being attentive to your bride over ignoring your bride until she says something. Christ-like love looks like being faithful to your bride over non-committance. You need to be all in all the time. Christ-like love looks like servant leadership over control and responsibility over rule. Husbands, we have been called to a high standard. Paul goes on. <laughs> that wasn't enough. He says this, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he's continuing on to explain what Jesus' love looks like. The second thing there is that we're to love our wives with a sanctifying love. And Jess talked about this really briefly and well about how marriage is a, is a playing field for discipleship, where we're learning to practice things that we're learning about God and how those things influence the way that we see and, and live and love one another. Um, and again, the goal here is not to see you formed in your spouse, but Jesus formed in your spouse. Um, that John Stark, Stock quote is helpful. It's like we're, we're learning to partner with God to help our spouse reach their full potential in God. And this looks like us participating in what God's already doing. Because there's a fine line here where all of a sudden we can want to be the Holy Spirit to our spouse, right? And that goes back to the whole idea of us wanting to see ourselves formed in them. So here's a question for us guys, thinking about our love for our wives, learning to kind of see our marriages as discipleship. So when we read that, those two verses together, we can't escape our huge responsibility. But is our, so the whole idea is we want to see Christ formed in our wives. So here's the question. Is our wife more like Christ because she is married to us? Or is she like Christ in spite of us? Either way, whatever our effect, our call is clear. We need, to be called, we need to be loving in a sanctifying way. Final thing here. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Uh, I had, so, so what does this look like? Um, I think for us as men, often we can be caught up in becoming the most impre impressive versions of ourselves. We have all kinds of vision for our businesses or drive for a promotion or fill in the blank thing, but we channel that towards our own end more often than not. So what if we somehow channeled that towards our wife instead, our wife and our family? What if our vision or our drive or our means was, was redirected to our wives in, in terms of partnering with Jesus and helping that person become the greatest version of who God made them to be. I love this quote. It's, I think it's by Irenaeus. He says, the glory of God is a man fully alive. And so that whole idea that we want to we see God's glory expressed in our lives. We want to we give vision and intention and time and energy and effort to seeing Christ formed in them. 
What do, they, what do they have on their hearts to accomplish? What are their dreams? What are their ambitions? How do we, instead of being so fixated on our own, channel that energy towards our wives? Uh, Proverbs, I can't remember where it, where it is. He who has found a wife has found a good thing. Let's learn to live that way. How do we as husbands learn to mine the gold that is hidden within your wife? By spending time listening and asking questions and being intentional about all that. This is a really brief summary, guys, of our call, but we are to love, and that is, again, what Jess was saying, a redemption to the fall, where we are so quick to be selfish and, and to look out for ourselves and to be domineering. We need to learn to lay down our lives in love in a way that honors and blesses our wives. So in summary, we're going to read a quote here, and then we just have a few closing thoughts. Just going back to um, the idea of marriage being like a dance. I think we have, do we have it up there? Yep, do we have that? I'll just read it. Marriage is like a dance. The man doesn't force, demand, or drag. He simply invites the woman to move with him. He himself moves with the music as she does. The music is the rhythm of God's grace and direction. In this sense, he follows before he leads. And she follows because she wants to. She does not lean on him in clinginess. Her weight is still on her own feet. She moves with him in partnership, but not in subservience. She respects and trusts him enough to submit herself to his lead. And though he sets the direction, he opens up the possibility for her expression. She adds color and surprise twirls to the dance. Though he leads, she is free to alert him graciously in the possibility of new movement. And the man is able to respond to her suggestion with grace. If he stifles her, the dance will not flourish. If she steals the lead, synergy is quelled. But when a man and a woman know their roles and operate their best within the framework, magic is created. The dance becomes more than leadership and followership. It is beautiful rhythm and harmony. And I just, I mean, I just want to say like, like a dance in life there, I mean, life is always happening. It's alive and moving and we're constantly living and changing and growing. And there is no arrival point, you know, until we in eternity. Um, there is no perfect balance of leading and submitting and trusting and loving. There is, I mean, there's moments where it clicks and you're like, yes, that was good. But I think we have to just remember, again, this is a discipleship process, that we're in this together. We're committed to seeing Christ formed in each other. Um, and out of that, knowing that life is moving and we're living through it together, um, there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's you know, that commitment to, to each other. And so far from perfect, but it is a work in progress. And thanks to the Lord for giving us the gift of marriage. Mm -hmm. And you guys, maybe if you're here with your spouse this morning, you've been elbowing your husband or wife the entire time. Um, but I think just in closing, it's, it's important for us to remember that like those things that we do together, like that both of us are called to, we're called to all of this. It's not like husbands, you're only called to lead or wives, you're only called to submit. Again, it's, it's all about learning to be selfless. It's about learning to be in this place of unconditional covenantal love and all kinds of committed to seeing the best in, in one another. So it's all of this stuff. So I think it's important for us as we kind of go from here thinking about these things. For husbands, focus on what God has called husbands to. Don't be like to your wife, like, hey, listen, you're not submitting. Like, just was talking about on Sunday or and vice versa for women focus on or wives focus on what God has called wives to not like hey you're not leading me well you know but just like working together not not elbowing each other and just 
reminding each other to love and be loving and all that kind of stuff together. Um, we've got a questionnaire for the married couples to work through this week at their leisure. Um, so just some questionnaire questions. is a fun word. It's not just a questionnaire like you're going to submit it to us. It's, it's a series of questions that you will go through together to start a conversation between the two of you. Yes. There we go. Way better. Yeah. We're going to post your answers online. And, uh, no, but uh, just, just to get some conversation going, just, yeah. just some check-in questions about some of the things we were talking about today. And again, guys, we could have spent months and months talking about this. We want to just stick to what Paul was saying here on this. So just, a, again, a summary, and then we'll just pray for you guys. The purpose of marriage is to reenact the gospel for husbands and for wives. So... Um, I, and in that space, my commitment to Jess becomes, and her commitment becomes to me, I will be the spouse I ought to be, whether or not you are being the spouse you ought to be. And why is that? Because Jesus loved me like that. He loved me not because I was lovely, but in order to make me lovely, and I'm going to do that for you. That's kind of the space that we want to leave you guys with, is that that's our commitment. We want to be, have marriages in our community that reenact the gospel. Okay, so why don't we stand up? We're going to sing together, I think. Um, one song? No? Okay. Alright, so Father, we are humbled that you love us. We're, we're humbled by your grace towards us. We are thankful that um, your love is not dependent on our performance. Uh, and your, your grace towards us is, is a gift free gift that you lavish upon us. And so this morning, as we take into consideration all the things that we've been talking about, and we want to just pray that anything that wasn't from you would just fall away, and anything that is from you, Lord, would just stick to our hearts and, and to our minds like glue. And would you make us into the image of Jesus more and more every single day, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're, you know, two years old in this room. We want to see Christ formed in every single one of us. But we're grateful for the beautiful gift that marriage is. And we pray that we would have a culture in our community of gospel-centered and gospel-shaped marriages. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. amen.